Hey guys, it's Ash here. Just a quick note to say that we have just two episodes left for our third season of the podcast. We'll be taking a few months off to recharge and reimagine the stories and guests that we can feature on the show. We hope you've enjoyed all of our incredible guests on the third season. And if you missed a week or two, now's your chance to head back and catch up. Anyway, let's get on with today's show. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name's Ash Deneef. Today, we're focusing on the importance of social connection and presenting two perspectives on how it can affect the health and well-being of older adults. Our first conversation features Snorri Bjorn Raffinson from the University of West London, whose research examines some of the determinants of dementia and how we might delay and stop its onset. In this episode, Snorri helps us take a closer look at the relationships between loneliness, internet usage, and dementia, how they play out, and some potential new areas for exploration. In the second half of the episode, we speak to Jamie McIntyre from the Red Cross, who coordinates around 50 volunteers up in Tweed Heads as they provide social support to isolated older adults. Jamie and the team do great work in partnership with our sponsor, Silver Adventures, and you'll hear more from Jamie shortly. But first, here is Snorri Bjorn Raffinson. Snorri, thanks so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, pleasure. It's great to have you here. And, and you're calling in from England, right? We were just talking about uh, some similar areas in London we used to live. Yes, I'm calling from London, England. This is where I live and this is where I work at the University of uh, West London. Very nice. And, and what sort of work are you doing at the university? Well, I'm an associate professor in the Geller Institute of Aging and Memory. So we are based within the School of Biomedical Sciences at the University of London. We are a growing institution with a multidisciplinary team of people who are passionate about dementia and aging and well-being of people living with dementia and their families and older adults more generally. Awesome. Well, I think there's a lot of crossover in the research that you're doing and and what we talk about a lot on the podcast. Lots of inquiries into factors that might influence the onset of dementia, right? Maybe we can start with loneliness. And I know you've done some some look at the role that loneliness and social connection can play in the onset of dementia. What have you found in this area? Yes, I've had the opportunity to collaborate with some excellent people here in the UK and more widely on as you say, the the kind of things that potentially increase people's risk of developing dementia, the determinants of of dementia, if you would like. And my particular interest is in psychosocial factors. So, for example, people's social relationships, social connections, and including loneliness or feelings of loneliness. There was an interest in this, obviously, this topic before COVID, but after COVID, there's been um, a heightened interest and awareness of mental health issues and challenges, and obviously, including loneliness as well. 
We've been able to draw on some existing data that we have uh, available here in the UK on this kind of determinants of not only dementia, but also how some social connections, how loneliness influences well-being or the mental health outcomes and so on. And these, these kind of data sometimes ask or studies ask people whether they feel lonely or how often and, and so on. And by using this data, we've been able to explore a little bit the relationship between feelings of loneliness and onset of dementia. And we've found a positive relationship, positive in the sense that if you feel lonely, you are at a higher risk of developing dementia over time. And obviously, our study is not the only one. This evidence base is growing globally. Most of the research, obviously, so far comes from sort of Western high-income countries. So mm. that's most of the evidence in general on, on determinants of dementia comes from Western countries. So obviously, there are gaps. But I think it's quite interesting that we are seeing fairly consistent patterns and results across studies that people who are so chronically lonely or feel lonely all the time are at a higher risk of developing dementia. So that's one of the, the things that we've observed in our studies. Mm. Okay, so you're highlighting their chronic loneliness as a, a sort of persistent feeling or something that people are reporting. This is a self-reported uh, metric, right? Yes. It's measured in different ways in different studies. Sometimes there's only one question which directly asks people whether they feel lonely or they felt lonely in the past week or, or month or whatever, which can be a little bit tricky because there is stigma attached to loneliness uh, or feeling lonely. And when you ask people directly, some people may be reluctant to answer that question. What do you think is behind this? What's happening to the brain when people aren't around others or aren't receiving the amount of social connection that they feel they would need? When we look broadly at determinants of dementia, a recent Lancet commission identified about 13 or 14 potentially modifiable risk factors for dementia, mm. including education, diabetes, hypertension in midlife, but also low social contact, hearing loss, and, and these kind of factors. What is sort of fairly common is that we don't really understand in much detail what the underlying mechanisms are. Hmm. We certainly speculate, and that's what we do. We try to sort of speculate and maybe explore the underlying pathways or mechanisms in, in more detail where we can. But overall, there is much more research needed on explaining or accounting for these kind of associations that we are reporting. But, you know, in terms of, you know, loneliness, it could be that, for example, some individuals who experience chronic loneliness engage in maybe health damaging behaviors. They may be more physically inactive. Maybe they're more prone to substance abuse or, you know, poor dietary choices. And maybe through some kind of a, a sort of a cardiovascular pathway or inflammatory pathway, this could then impact on the brain, negatively impact on the brain. We also know that, for example, loneliness is, is closely associated with depression. And there is fairly robust evidence that depression increases your risk of, of developing dementia. 
But then again, I want to highlight that in, in these studies that look at loneliness, including my own research, we usually sort of adjust or control for depression. So the relationships that mm. I'm, I'm reporting between lo loneliness and dementia risk are independent of, of depression. So uh, it may be there in some cases, but it, it wouldn't account for the entire relationship we are observing. Mm. Well, it sounds like loneliness might be the lead domino or the tip of the iceberg of a, a range of different problems that can be associated with loneliness that actually are the ones that are affecting the onset of dementia. I mean, that is certainly a possibility, and that's something that we always sort of uh, think about. Mm. Well, I understand that to work counter to this idea of, of loneliness impacting dementia, you've done some research into the types of social connection that can have an impact here and, and whether that's digital or in person or, or some combination of the two. Can you tell us about that study and, and what you found there? We are sort of interested in what you would maybe consider sort of the web of personal relationships that surround all of us, you know, family, friends, neighbors, partners, spouses, and so on. Overall, this field or this literature is, is quite vast and is, is still growing. There's been an interest in social connections uh, for quite a long time, and poor or inadequate social connections have been associated with uh, a number of different health and well-being outcomes, including mortality. So we have, for example, looked at social network size. We've looked at the density or the diversity of social networks, so the kind of people you have in your social networks. These may be people that you think of as being close contact, people you have good relationship with, and, and so on. We've also looked at the density and the diversity of this network. So, for example, whether you have fairly similar individuals or people in your network or, or more diverse type of individuals with different characteristics and demographics and so on. And we've also looked at, for example, frequency of contact, so how often people keep in contact with those in the social networks. And we found that, for example, both social network size, so having a bigger social network is related to better cognitive outcomes, better well-being outcomes. Having frequent contact with others is also related to similar outcomes. In this paper that you were referring to, the, the most recent analysis we did focused specifically on interacting with others using the internet. Not solely, but what the impact was of supplementing offline sort of traditional face-to-face -face interactions with online interactions. And we thought that would be an interesting question because more and more older adults are now using the internet. And what we found was that those who supplement traditional offline interactions with, with using the internet, using online interactions, they have uh, a more sort of favorable cognitive function or memory function over, over time. So they decline less compared to those who sort of only rely on traditional interactions. Uh, and there are many people who still do that and may be reluctant to go online for any number of reasons. There are also obviously reasons such as 
maybe lack of support, not having access to the internet. These are also real barriers for many people. They may be losing out in many different aspects. Obviously, this data came out before COVID. So probably the importance of having online connections, being able to you know, Skype or Zoom with friends and family became even more important during COVID. Mm. Well, I was going to ask, you know, with all these different factors and uh, potential determinants of dementia, what's, what are some areas that you're interested in examining further or some things that you think might yield surprising results? As I said in the, be- in the beginning, much of this information that we have comes from particular countries, mm. so high-income countries, Western countries, there is much less information from, for example, low and middle income countries and countries that are going through transitions and the risk factor profiles are changing. And you're going to see many, many cases of of dementia uh, and, you know, associated with aging and so on there as well. Within multicultural societies like Australia, like the UK, we need to do more work to capture for example, the experiences of of different ethnic and cultural groups. Mm. The data and the information we have at the moment is sort of quite restricted in the sense that we don't know much about this experience I talked about among, for example, ethnic and minority groups. We know that dementia risk is not equally spread across the population. Mm-hmm. We also know, for example, that the risk of feeling lonely is not equally spread across the community. We know that people, for example, who face stigma or prejudices, people who live alone or are single, people who live in poverty have much higher rates of, of loneliness. We know that people and some ethnic groups, for example, like people from the South Asian continent, mm-hmm. have a disproportionate risk when it comes to, for example, metabolic syndrome and diabetes and cardiovascular diseases. But there is much less information and research on, for example, dementia in these groups. So I think for the future, we could do much more work that sort of needs to be more inclusive because we live in this multicultural society and most of the evidence we have on dementia risk factors comes from particular groups, whereas some other groups within our society that may find themselves at an increased risk are often not included in our study. So we need to be more inclusive Mm. in doing that. I think we need to be optimistic and hopeful. And there's the evidence base on, for example, how to go about preventing dementia or reducing the risk of dementia is, is promising and is growing and is becoming more and more robust. But there are a number of uh, issues that we need to think about, both methodological, but then also about translating this information into effective strategies and policies. We need to raise awareness of brain health and the potential of reducing the risk of dementia within the general public as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to share the work you've been doing. And if people want to read more about the studies, they can find more at the University of West London, right? Yes. And the Geller Institute of Aging and Dementia. You can even let them know that if there is anything they would like to know, they can contact me directly. Even. 
Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, they can people can find you on LinkedIn, Dr. Snorri Bjorn Raffinson, and we can link to that as well. Thank you so much for your time, Snorri. Thank you, Ash. Well, a big thanks to Snorri for sharing his time and expertise there. Coming up after the break, we're speaking to Jamie McIntyre from the Red Cross. Jamie is a customer of our sponsor, Silver Adventures, and together they've been bringing immersive virtual reality experiences to care facilities around Tweet Heads. Jamie shared a little bit with us about that experience and how the Silver Adventures solution is enriching the lives of older adults through social connection. And that's coming up after this break. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey Barlin. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back and they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares? Where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of aged care's challenges and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Mari, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, Daniela. <laughs> I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Mari. You and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week, and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. Jamie, thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, no worries. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure. Can you uh, maybe tell us who you are? I see you wear an Australian Red Cross shirt. Maybe for the people who can't see you today, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so Jamie McIntyre with Australian Red Cross in Tweed Heads. I look after the Community Visitor Scheme up here, which is CVS facility in aged care facilities and CVS home. People are in their own homes. And I've been here since uh, December 2020. So I have a team of volunteers, I've got about 50 or 60 at the moment, who visit with, I think we've got 98 clients at the moment. So that's a mix of people between about 70-odd in facilities and about 20-odd in their own homes. And a lot of them have no visitors. So they may have moved here from Melbourne or Adelaide or wherever and their family are down there. They don't get any visitors at all. So our volunteers are their visitors. So in some cases, I've been visiting with them for 20 years or more. So they've become like family. So. Yeah, it's a pretty cool thing to be involved in. It's it's very, very good. That sounds awesome. So, so you, I guess you're seeing a lot of very isolated and lonely people at times then? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. I've had um, people burst into tears when they realise that someone's going to come and visit them and just them, for them. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. So we met a lady yesterday. She climbed Everest when she was 61. So Wow. Yeah, yeah. So guess where I'm sending her with silver. <laughs> <laughs> She's going up top as well. Yeah. Right back up there. Oh, that's great. Well, you mentioned something that you uh, you do as well, well alongside the community engagement. You're taking some silver adventures headsets along and, and taking the people on adventures. Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah. So when I first started with Red Cross, we got a bit of extra funding from the government because of COVID, because of the isolation. People trapped in facilities, trapped in their own homes. So the boss said, find something to spend it on. And she did say, what about virtual reality? And my first thought was, I don't want to put seniors on roller coasters because that's what I thought it was. But um, yeah. I, I, we got, I got signed up for feeds and one of the ones that come through mentioned silver. I'm like, wow, what's that? And I looked in and I'm like, yes, that's what we want. So some Josephs in Lismore were using the Generation 1 and I rang them. We're not connected them, with them. They had no connection with but they actually moved their session from a Tuesday when I can do it to a Wednesday so I could go along and I did it with them. And I'm like, mm. yeah, this is what we need. So I did the pitch to the bosses and, yeah, we got the kit. So we've got a tablet and five headsets here in Tweed and another tablet and five headsets in Lambton. And Lambton just started doing theirs as well. So, 
yeah, I go along to facilities and even though there's only five headsets, it actually works pretty well because the other day I had 18 residents and they passed it around. Some of them, mm. you know, they might get on and they say, oh, wow, look at this or I've had a bit enough of that, I'll come back to that. So they pass the headsets around so everyone gets some experience and even staff are jumping in. Everyone loves it. It's just so, if you've never seen it before, it's just amazing. And, you know, we do mm. things like walk into the Sistine Chapel and all the heads go up because they're looking at the ceiling. So... Yeah, it's it, everyone gets really, really involved. It's fantastic. And the support, you know, of Silver in the background, helping us to get it out there, uh, especially the area we're in, the Wi-Fi is not the best. So the solution we've arrived at now is just perfect. It works everywhere. So, yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. Oh, that's great. So what was it about that, that first session that you went on that they moved it to a Wednesday? What, what, what did you see there? Was it the content you saw or was it people's reactions? What kind of thought made you think this is a good solution? Well, when we actually rocked up, it was one diversional therapist in the facility who did the activities and the other lady was sick, so we couldn't actually run a session. We were all set up for it, but she sat and went through it with me, showed me on the tablet. I put a headset on, sat down and did it. And then afterwards, there was a lady sitting, they were just about to have lunch and a lady was sitting there and I went and spoke to her and she was very with it and she was well-travelled. So I sat and spoke with her and said, you know, is it good? And she goes, it's unreal. You go, she goes, it's the best next thing to being there. So, yeah, that's what I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I need. Because we've got such a mix here. We, it's mainly Anglo here, but a lot of people have travelled. And also we've got a lot of farming background. So, yeah, in the introduction, like, they've got a, I think it's a, you know, camera sitting in the middle of a paddock and cows walk up to it. Oh, the ewes and ours are that. They love it. They absolutely love it. So, yeah, look at this, look at this. So, yeah, it, it's taken a bit to get there, but now we've got it. Like, it, it, And we're actually looking at using it now as sort of a foot in the door to facilities we haven't, we don't have a connection with, where mm. we do have to approach them saying, hey, look at we, what we can offer you. So we're going to move it a bit further down the coast. So I'll go to uh, Coffs and Grafton with it. So, yeah, it's it, it's been amazing. Oh, that's great. Great to hear. And how does it go? I mean, do you get much kind of interaction off the back of the experience, people talking about it and, and sharing stories from it? Yeah, because I'll be doing the the pack up and I can hear them talking in the background like, how amazing was that? Did you see that? And they do with their volunteers too because the volunteers may not be there at the session, but I'll speak to the volunteers weeks later and they, oh, gee, she's raving about that virtual reality thing you did with it. So, And they all want it back too. They all say, when can you come back and do it again? When can I had one lady because they, they booked me in on the wrong day and I rocked up and they're actually watching a movie and they're like, oh, sorry, we, didn't, we thought it was next Wednesday. So they mm. turned the movie off. And a lady said to me, one of the residents, how long is this going to take? My time is precious. And I put mm-hmm. this up and they said, yeah, she used to be in admin, so she's very time conscious. Mm-hmm. At the end, she grabbed me and said, when are you coming back to do that again? So she went from there <laughs> on me to saying, I want to do that again. So that's a big turnaround. And it's 100% you know, the solution, just immersing someone in 360 degrees of, wow, look at this, that can turn, turn perceptions around. Yeah, we're a bit resistant at first. It was quite funny. Yeah, no, I bet. But it's, uh, I mean, it's, the solution's great, but also the way that you're bringing it to people. I'm sure the connection that you're taking and the volunteers who know the who know the, the care recipients as well, it's really going to make it a success, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's not something, you know, I didn't start with Red Cross with that in mind, but being able to do it's just so special because I've spoken to uh, facility staff and they've done it at, say, a conference they've been to, you know, been to an Australia-wide conference, and they mm. do virtuality and like, wow, we want to get into this. But when they get back, they just don't have the 
you know, either the funding or the support, the IT support to do it. So it's never happened for them. Now they've got a portable solution where they just ring me and I bring it along. And it's just so good for them. I'm there with the, the way it is now. It's like a 20-minute session is 40 minutes total. Me getting there, setting up, running the session, talking about it afterwards and then leaving, it's 40 minutes, which they love. That works perfectly for them because they do those one-hour blocks. So, yeah, they absolutely love it. Like I say, as soon as they find out about it, they're harassing me to come back. I'm going to say, I'll be back in a month because I'm fully booked out until then. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any people that you've seen like over a long period of time, maybe like a couple of months that you've seen regularly or any sort of repeat visitors? At the moment, the focus is sort of getting out to areas I couldn't do before. Like on Thursday, I'm out all the bar. With the old Wi-Fi-dependent solution, I wouldn't have even considered it. Now I do have that option. So, And um, even the facilities themselves are saying, this is something we could look at. And they're thinking, especially for their high-needs clients, their dementia clients, they're saying we should look at something like this ourselves to because they're not necessarily with my program. So mm. they're looking at getting it themselves or something similar to do with dementia patients because it is, it, they can see it helping rather than hindering with the dementia like when they can recall things and have a connection with it. Mm-hmm. So I know one was a bit worried. They said they had a bit of an issue with an iPad and the person had, they were touching the screen saying, hey, I can see you, why can't I touch you? And they were a bit, but we put one, someone in the session and yeah, the only thing was she kept taking the headset off and saying, I've done that before with this man. Every time, I've done that before with that man. So by the end of it, she'd done it with me three times. It was the first time we'd met. So, But they could see that it does work. It triggers recollection especially if it's somewhere they've been before so Mm. well it's nice it was triggering a connection with you as well that whether or not you'd been there before with her she was (laughs) feeling more connected to you right yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah well it sounds like some of those facilities are cutting in on your lunch there if they want to get their own kits they're gonna gonna cut you out of the loop one has one when i went i actually dragged i walked because it's in walking distance and i so i towed the kit behind me in the big case and when i got there she goes oh, is that what it is we've already got that i'm like you could have told me before i walked here and brained on the way back too but it's good that they're getting it themselves because it means they can integrate it as part of their program and i'll still have a connection with them so and my mm-hmm. volunteers can still go along and take part so it's good that you know i can get it out to the facilities that can't do that the ones that do do it yeah we still have that connection with them is there anything else you reckon would be worth mentioning from your experience with it? Seeing the, the change in people, like especially this generation that I'm exposing to haven't, had, haven't grown up with technology and mm. they're not, and at first they're a bit, oh, oh, I'm not sure. And then you stick it on them and they absolutely love it and want to do it again. So there's, there's that too because um, part of the, the social side too with COVID being locked out, we try to do video calls. And some people were a bit resistant to that. They don't like looking at a screen. They like someone sitting in front of them. So this could be a way to sort of convince those people that, hey, look, when we can't get in, we'll do video calls with you. It'll be like when you did the scenario with us, it'll be on the screen. Because they do, they wave to the people walking past. They don't know it's a recording. So they're like, hey, how you doing? But a guy tried to shake someone's hand the other day. So, yeah, it could be good for that too, not just the session itself, but convincing them that, you know, technology is not the enemy. Mm. Yeah, if, you, if we can't get in face-to-face, we'll do a video call with you. And I do have – some of my volunteers are amazing with that. Like the volu- the client, the resident will come on and the cat will be sitting there because the volunteer uses their cat or their dog to sort of sell it. This mm-hmm. is another thing that can sell technology to them. You know, technology is not something to be feared. It's something to be embraced because it does open the world up for us. 
No, that's great. I mean, on the outside, I think you'd you'd imagine that having a virtual reality headset's more of a like you need to do extra sales to get the the headset <laughs> on someone. But if if that can open the door to to more video connections, that's fantastic. Yeah. Hey, Jamie, thanks so much for taking the time today. It's been awesome to hear about your experience with Silver Adventures. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. It's been great working with you guys. And yeah, look forward to another year of um, rolling this beautiful solution out to people. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget that each Friday, we've got a fresh episode of our new show, Who Cares?, in which Daniela and Maury take another look at the ideas we've been discussing in today's episode and how they might affect all of us working in the aged care industry. It's fun, thought-provoking, and just a little bit silly. And the good news is it's all right here in the podcast feed. So you don't have to click anywhere else. But if you want to make sure you don't miss out, hit the subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when that episode is available. Anyway, we'll see you next week.